I want to get rolling in today's message. Um, we'll kind of introduce this whole idea here in just a little bit. But before we do that, how many people have ever fangirled before? Anybody? Okay, guys, be honest, all right? Uh, any any fangirl, fangirl confessions that people want to spit out at me? Is it, okay, Zac Efron. Uh, hobbits, that's weird, all right? Uh, I can say that because... I can say that because Eric, <laughs> Eric and I. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> if you're here for the first time, I swear we're not weird. I, I swear. Uh, <laughs> it's mostly just that section. Uh, anyways, um, any other, any other, uh, any other fangirl? Your small group leader. <laughs> There's some serious bromance going on up here. That's awesome. Quentin Clough told me earlier today that, that he used to, when he was a little kid back in the 90s, he used to have a crush on a news lady in Anchorage. Uh, the guy, the girl who used to do Fox Kids something, what was it? I don't know. But anyways, uh, which I we, we looked her up today, and, and it... Oddly enough, she looked a lot like this girl named Alyssa Stroh, who uh, who Quentin happens to be dating. So you know, it just it's funny how those things work out. But uh, normally, my my fangirl experiences have happened with mostly athletes. Uh, I was a big Minnesota Twins fan. My my biggest childhood hero growing up was Kirby Puckett. How many people know who Kirby Puckett is? <laughs> like seven of you. All right. He played center field for the Minnesota Twins. He's number 34. He played from 1984 to 1994. Was eight time All Star, seven time Gold Glover, 325 lifetime career average, uh, 287 career home runs. Uh, you know, but anyways. So I was thinking about fangirling today, and the reason I wanted to talk about that was because. How many people have ever have ever like been really really infatuated with someone and then that person does something really stupid and then you're like, oh, they're actually human. How many people know what you what, what I'm talking about, right? Or maybe you meet you meet that person that you were like fangirling over and they're like treat you like dirt and you're like, oh, man, and you had this like vision in your head that they were gonna like lay out the red carpet for you and hang out with you every Saturday night. But really, it didn't work, right? Why? Because those people are human, right? And the reason I want to bring that up is because tonight I want to talk. I want to talk about Jesus tonight. Uh, I'm not going to be shy about that. And uh, I want to talk about the fact that, uh, and this might sound hooky and weird, but I believe that Jesus is someone who is worthy to fangirl over. How many people believe that, right? Okay. <laughs> and the cool thing about Jesus is that no matter what we do, no matter where we go in life, no matter what season we walk through, no matter what trial we walk through, no matter what happens, he will never let us down. He'll never disappoint us. The Bible says that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that he never changes, that his character is true, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That there's no matter what, he will never let us down. And I believe that just, it's so crazy how we in our lives, we can fix our eyes on people and things and we can lift them up to be such so high and mighty and, and, and amazing in our minds. And when we do that, we're always, almost always completely and sorely let down. 
But the beautiful thing is, is that when we fix on our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we will never be let down. And he will continue to guide us in the way that he has called us to go. And that's what I want us to talk about tonight. The, the sermon series, Trials and Trails, really has to deal with the fact that, I, I, I don't, how many people here have had God do some cool stuff in their life over the course of the last month? Anybody? Okay. How many, you might have been, if you weren't at Breakaway this last weekend, a bunch of us went to this retreat uh, called Breakaway. And uh, if, if you missed it, it's okay. It's going to happen again next year, okay? Uh, <laughs> oh, man, a whole year, Steve, right? Uh, but, but how many people had something cool happen in their life at Breakaway this weekend? Good, good. Yeah, me too. But here's the thing, is that I believe that following Jesus is not just a one-time event. It's not just something that, that is a quick fix in a week or in a month. It is something that is a journey that happens throughout our lives. It is a trail that we make a decision to walk on, to step onto, and it is a trail that we must continue to follow and make it a point and make it a dedicated decision to say, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. You see, I believe that, that our, our mission in Chi Alpha is that people would be reconciled to Jesus and then they would be discipled to be lifelong followers of Christ. My goal and my vision for you guys is that 25 years from now, I would be able to hold your kids and be able to celebrate with your kids as I know that you guys are going to be walking with Jesus, married to a godly spouse, raising a godly family, and impacting the marketplace around you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my goal for you guys. That's, that's, that's our vision in Chi Alpha. And in order to do that, we must teach that this is not just something that we do on a Thursday night. It's not just something that we do on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock in small group. This is serving Jesus is a journey that we live out every single day. It's like this, right? I met my wife on, uh, do you remember the day, sweetie? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to call you. It was May 19th, May 19th, 2013. We went on our first date on May 23rd, 2000, oh, 2012, excuse me, 2012. May, May 23rd was when we went on our first date. I asked my wife to marry me on April 13th, 2013. And uh, and here's the deal about my relationship with my wife. When I met her, I did not know her as well as the day when I got engaged to her, right? At least I hope not, right? Who are you? You want to marry me, right? I didn't do that, right? Nice to meet you. You look nice. Come on over, right? Want to spend the rest of my life with me, right? No, it's not how you do things, right? It's like, how about... How about we grab coffee and, uh, and, uh, and a wedding ring, right? No, you don't do that. You don't do that. You get to know somebody. It's a journey. But here's the deal. Is that come November 2nd, here in just a couple weeks, Aaron and I will be married for three years. And it's been amazing, right? But here's the deal is that I know that I know my wife better today than I did when we got married, when we said I do. And when I said I do to my wife, that was not just like, oh, I, we said I do? Sweet. All right. Sign on the dotted line. Now I don't need to invest anything else into this relationship. We should be good to go, right? No. Absolutely not. That relationship is one that I build and I, and I invest into and we go on dates and we just spend time together and we, we work through conflict and we do all of these things together 
because I value my relationship with my wife. Our walks with Jesus are the exact same thing. That we don't just make this one-time decision or we don't get excited about Jesus for a month and then we just let it grow cold. We develop and walk on this journey with Jesus throughout the rest of our lives. And that's what I want us to talk about over the course of the next few weeks. The Bible calls, refers to this, uses the metaphor of us running a race. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, it says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a race, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So what is that prize, right? What's the crown? What, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about rewards in heaven? I would argue that he is not, okay? In, in, in Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, what Hebrews tells us is that the reward, if we had to keep our eyes fixed on the reward, who does he tell us to fix our eyes on? Jesus. So see, the reward of this race is not crowns and, and jewels built up for us in heaven, rewards for us in the afterlife. The, the reward for following Jesus is deeper relationship with Jesus. And here's what I want you to know tonight is that that might not sound exciting to you, but I would argue with you tonight, I would, I would propose to you tonight that that is the most exciting, most incredible gift that you can ever receive. See, the Bible says that, that, that the, the people in heaven who had received a crown for the things that they had done in their life actually went to Jesus in heaven and laid it at Jesus' feet, right? So what it tells me is that no matter what, even if we do receive some sort of reward in heaven, it doesn't matter because... We're going to lay it at the feet of Jesus because Jesus is going to be way cooler than any of it. Isn't that amazing? And yet we get to seek him when we're on earth. The prize is Jesus, and a relationship with him is the greatest thing that you could ever imagine. So how do we get there? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Well, it's pretty simple because God made things pretty simple for us, right? He didn't make things complicated. It's it's hard. It's, I, I, I would put it this way. It's simple, but it's not easy. Does that make sense? He made it very simple, but it's not always easy. He had his, he, in order to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, essentially he just requires two things of us. Number one is that we pray, and number two is that we would spend time in his word. That's how we build relationship with Jesus, prayer and the word. And you might be sitting there, you're like, oh, great. Steve's going to sit up and talk to us about how we should read our Bibles and pray. I've heard this one before. No, no, no. I believe that there's something different that sometimes we miss because here's how sometimes we treat the Word of God in our prayer lives. We treat it as a task that has been given to us. But that's not at all what it is. And if you think that it is a task, you got it all wrong tonight. And my prayer for you is that you would see this differently. See, praying to God and spending time in his and in the word that he wrote is not a task. It's an ability that he has given us. You see what I'm saying? See how that changes everything? 
See, the Bible says that we are able to enter the throne room of grace with confidence. Meaning that we can go talk to God. We get to hear from him. His word you say, oh, Steve, God's never talked to me. All you have to do is read one line from this, and Jesus is talking to you, right? So he has given us the ability to hear from the God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God of justice. He has given us the ability to go before him and listen to him, learn from him, and to speak to him and grant requests to him. It, is that, does that not excite anybody else in this room? I mean, come on, guys. This is not a task. This is something that we have been blessed with. It is a privilege to be able to go before the Lord and to be able to spend time with the Lord. And if you're looking at it as a task and a to-do, you are not looking at it the way I believe God intended for us to look at it. And it is a, wow, I cannot believe that I actually get to spend time with Jesus. So how did God ask us to do this? Well, we're going to look at Matthew 6 today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen behind me. We're going to start in verse 5. Verse 5. And Jesus is uh, talking to us about prayer. And he says this. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may have heard that prayer before. You've probably heard this passage before. We know this is the Lord's Prayer. It's recited in many different places. But here's the problem with sometimes with, this, the, with the Lord's Prayer is that I believe that God, when Jesus taught, very rarely did he give instruction like, you should do things this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, right? Jesus actually, when he came, all of his teaching had to deal with this guy right here. It had to deal with the heart. It had to deal with the fact that, okay, yes, God has given you commands, but what is the heart behind this command? So it's okay to pray the Lord's Prayer exactly like that, but I believe that we can grab a whole lot more from the Lord's Prayer if we dig into it and we see the heart behind what Jesus is trying to communicate here. See, what Jesus is trying to communicate through this prayer is he's trying to communicate that you have been made to keep your eyes fixed on him constantly. And this prayer really, what it does is it, it, is it molds our heart and shapes our hearts to keep our eyes fixed on him. So tonight I want to share four things with you. Four things that sometimes we get fixed on in the, in the wrong way, right? We're going to be fixed on something. All of us are walking on a trail. And how do you walk down a trail, right? You see point A and you see point B, so you walk to point B, and then you walk to point C, right? All of us are doing that in our lives. We can't argue that, I, I mean, none of us are just, maybe you're like, oh, no, all they do is play video games. But, uh, but no, most of us are moving somewhere, right? So we all have our eyes fixed on something. We just have to make sure that we have it fixed on the right thing. Amen? 
All right. So let's look at this, because sometimes we can be fixed on what we think is right, but really it isn't right. We can, be, we can be fixed on something that we think is the will of God, or we think is biblical, or we think is, is what God wants, but sometimes it can be slightly skewed. So we're going to look at some of those things tonight. The first thing that we need to look at if we want to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and spend time with him every single day is that we cannot fix our eyes on how much time we spend, but why we are spending time. The how much versus the why. Again, I've already kind of mentioned this, but this is not a checklist. This is not a have to, it's a get to. Again, it's a privilege. And it's not about whether, so many times we think, well, if I just, man, if I just read my Bible a little more, if I just pray a little bit more, then maybe I'll become a better Christian and people will think I'm much more holy, right? It's not about a show. Jesus made it very clear in his word that it has nothing to do with us or the way that it makes us appear. And he made it very clear that it is not about getting something out of it. It's about getting to spend time with someone. I'm going to say that again. It's not about getting something. It's about getting time, getting to spend time with someone. Right? Does that make sense? See, so many times we approach our time with God and we're like, give me, give me, give me, give me. Right? I want to feel your presence, your presence, your presence, your presence. And as soon as... As he kind of like, as soon as we like come in and he doesn't show up the way we expected him to show up, like, oh, reading the Bible doesn't work for me anymore, right? But see, it's not, it's never been about a feeling. And Sawyer absolutely nailed it, hit a nail on the head, man. You heard from the Lord because this is something I was going to share exactly what you shared right before the service. If you if you weren't in here, Sawyer shared about how. How, uh, worshiping God is not about a feeling. It's not about something that, like we feel like doing and we feel good to do, and then we go for it, right? And then we're like, ooh, that made me feel warm and fuzzy. To be honest with you guys, there are times when I read God's word and I don't feel warm and fuzzy because God convicts me about something going on in my life. See, it's not about a feeling. It's not about what I can get from the Lord. It's about getting to spend time with the God of the universe, it's about getting to spend time with the most glorious, most loving, most incredible being that the universe has ever seen. The guy who created the universe. I mean, that's what we get to do. So it's not about how much, it's about the why. It's about the fact that we get to spend time with who we get to spend time with. And we've been talking about the character of God a lot already this month. We've been talking a lot about the fact that that so many times that we, we get skewed because we our character view of God, our, the, how we view God is off. And they, this really goes back to that as well. The second thing that we can skew our view on is when we become fixed on the what instead of getting fixed on the how. See, I believe that it's not so much about what you do to approach God, but instead it's about how you approach him. In your heart. Let me just hear me out on this for a second. See, Jesus did could have preached a message here when they said, how, how are we ought to pray? He could have given us like a 35,000 page book about, okay, you when you become a Christian, you start on this page and you start praying all these prayers. And you'll probably die before you get to the end, right? <laughs> But he didn't do that. 
he gave us this very general, very broad instruction. And he said, pray. And he said, he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, everything about this, he's not necessarily telling us a, a exactly how to pray or exactly what to pray as far as he's more telling us how to align our hearts with him. Does that make sense? So how do we do that? Well, I think that this is, the scripture is very clear that we can be conversational with God, to be real, to be yourself. It doesn't need to be polished. Jesus says that we don't have to go on babbling with big words and many words. How many people have ever been intimidated to pray around someone that's been a Christian for a lot longer than you have, right? And when they pray, if you've ever, like, how many of you have, like, a believing grandparent that when they pray, you should, you're like, I should write that down and sell that as poetry. That is, like, beautiful. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wow, you've been praying for a long time, right? God doesn't necessarily care if, if it sounds like poetry or if it sounds like nothing, right? God is far more concerned about where our heart is at when we pray than he is about where our mind is at when we pray. He's far more concerned about the fact that whether or not we are being real and raw and honest with him and we can come before him confidently and we can come before him relationally. He wants to be our friends, right? It says, Jesus says it right there. He says that, do, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. If he already knows what you need, then you might as well talk to him about it. If he knows the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart, which he does, and yet he still wants to spend time with you, then that thing that you have never wanted to share with anyone, you might as well share that with him, right? And you might as well talk to him about that pain and that hurt and that discomfort and the thing that that person did that you never thought anyone would do to you. You might as well bring that to him. He wants you to be conversational in his time with you. He wants you to come, the second thing he wants you to come is he wants you to come humbly. We're going to talk about that one in just a little bit, so I'm going I'm to skip past it. He also wants us to come expectantly. We have to come to God expecting God to teach us things and show us things. But it's not always going to be, he's not going to always show us or teach us the thing that we want to see. Right? So that's where that humility comes in. We need to be teachable. God wants to show you things and reveal things to you in your word, in his word. He wants to... He wants to give you wisdom that is far beyond your years. He wants to allow you and teach you to, to, to not just to, to how to live in his blessing. So we have to expect him to, to teach us things when we go to the word. Otherwise, why would I ever go there? And when we pray, we must expect that when we pray, God hears us and he moves. I read a quote the other day. It said that prayer is not prep for battle. It is the battle. Right? If we treat prayer that way, how much more likely are we going to be to pray? If prayer no longer just becomes this idea that, oh, God, get me ready for this trial ahead of me. Versus, Lord, I know that when I pray, you hear me and you move. And so I'm going to adamantly pray for this thing that I want to see happen here on earth. Right? That gets me pumped up, man. That, that gets me want to get in the prayer room right now and be like, yeah, let's go after it, right? Prayer changes things. But just as important, prayer changes the people 
that are praying so that they can be used by God to change things. Guys, prayer is so powerful. It is so incredible. It is beyond anything that we could re- we could we could really start to understand about how powerful prayer actually is. And when we start to treat it with that type of expectancy, prayer goes from being this task to being this thing that we absolutely can't live without. God is far more concerned about the how than how our hearts are aligned with his and than he is concerned about what we're doing. So what are some things that I want to... I don't want to preach this message without giving you some practical wisdom about how to get into God's word, right? And I'm not giving you a what here. I'm not. I'm not saying that there's a formula for spending time with God, because there's not. But I'm telling you this, that a good place to start is worship, prayer, and God's word. <laughs> okay? It's pretty baseline. And if I, if I were you, and let's just say you're here tonight and you're like, Steve, I've never really dug into God's word. I really don't know where to start. I really don't know what to do. Then here are some things to get you, get you rolling, right? Some things that you should bring to your time with Je- when you go to spend time with Jesus. Number one, you should bring consistency, right? This should be a daily thing. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. You should bring your Bible, believe it or not, right? Don't have a supplement for the Bible, guys. There is, there is no other thing that you should be d- relying on in terms, of, in terms of direction for your life other than this. Christian books are incredible. Devotionals are incredible. But those should be supplements. They should not be, they should not be the main thing for your life and for your, Christian, for your, for your spiritual guidance. Come with a plan. Know where you're headed. Don't just do this. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm studying the law today for the, for the ninth time this month. Great, right? Have a plan. Be somewhere and stick there and study there. Bring a pen. Why? This is not, again, this is not a what. This is a how. This is in alignment with our hearts, right? When we bring a pen... What are we essentially telling our minds? I am ready to learn, right? God, I am ready to learn. I am putting my heart in a position where I'm going to be active. I'm going to be a part of learning something from this. I'm going to underline. I'm going to write in the margins. I'm going to maybe journal about what I've read and what I've learned, whatever. Be active in this. Bring your imagination, right? It is, it's one thing to read the Word of God. It's another thing to, like, put yourself there, okay? And pretend like you're walking next to, to Ezra and Nehemiah and, and, and Moses and, and Jeremiah, and you're walking next to Joshua, and you're walking next to Jesus, and you're walking next to Paul. You see, the Word of God is living and active. We have to understand that. And so if you're looking at this as a, just a history book, you got it all wrong. The Bible says the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. And it pierces our lives, it changes things, and it, and it molds things within us. If we're not treating the word of God like that, then, then how we are approaching it is wrong. We need to be much more worried about how we're approaching God than, than what it is when, what, that we're doing when we're approaching God. Make sense? All right, number three. Is that are we focused on our wish list, or are we focused on our need list. 
Jesus models that our time with him should be much more about surrender than it is about telling God what to do. Right? What does he pray? He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, you are awesome. Right? You are way bigger than me. Surrender. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the heart behind that? God, your will and your ways are way higher and way better than my ways. Not my will, but your will be done. I surrender my will to you. And then he goes, give us this day our daily bread. Notice he doesn't say, give us this day all of these things that I really want. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, he has given God permission to give me what it is that I need. Right? Not, not requesting what it is. So many times we take that verse and we think, oh, great. So I can, like, ask God for a Ferrari and I can ask God for this and all this. Stuff. Right? No, no, no. Give us this day our daily need, our daily bread. God knows our needs far better than we do. He knows our needs far better than we do. And so when we come before him humbly surrendered and we say, God, because your ways are higher than my ways, because your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, I'm going to come before you and I'm going to ask that your will would be done in my life. And instead of a wish list, it becomes a, sur a surrendered need list, right? God tried to model this for the Israelites when they were wandering around in the desert in the Old Testament. And they were going to the promised land, and every single day when they would wake up, they would have manna waiting for them all over the ground. Manna was a type of bread. It was a flaky bread. And they were instructed to go out and pick up as much manna as they needed just for the day. And if they grabbed too much and like were like, oh, I'm sleeping in tomorrow, right? I'm going to grab a bunch so I don't have to go out and collect this tomorrow. So, boom, they grab a bunch, and they stuck it in their bag. The next day, it would be maggoty and nasty and gross. So they'd have to go out and get more manna. Why did God do that? One, because he had a bunch of hungry people, right? Two, because he wanted to teach the Israelites that he was responsible for fulfilling their daily needs. And so if you, if you ask me, Steve, how often should I spend time with Jesus, my answer for you would be that the Bible tells us that, that, that it is an everyday thing. Why? Not because it's a task, but because we are in need of spending time with Jesus every single day. We cannot do this. We cannot walk through life as a Christian, as a man or woman of God, if we are not spending time with the Lord in some capacity every single day. And I'm not here to shame you if you have not. I'm not here to condemn you if you have not been doing this in your life. I'm here to challenge you to say, hey, let's come in alignment with the fact that God wants to be our our, the thing of our greatest need. He wants to fulfill our greatest needs. Now, what I'm not saying is that you cannot go to, you, what I'm not saying is that you can't go to God with your prayer needs and your prayer requests and all these things, right? says, in everything, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. But here's the problem, is that if we go to God with a wish list, we always will expect him to fulfill that wish list the way we think it should be best, what, the way it sh we think it should be best filled, right? Or best completed. There's nothing wrong with going to God with requests. 
as long as we go to God with a request and we say, God, here are the things that I'm praying for. And I trust that you are going to take care of these things in the way that you best see fit. The first way is a recipe for you to get very mad at God very fast. Because essentially you've told him that my ways and my thoughts are better than your thoughts. And because you didn't do things the way I expected you to do things, I'm going to be ticked off at you now. The second way says, God, I know that you are a good and caring God and you care about all of this stuff going on in my life. But I know that your ways are way higher than my ways, so I surrender to your will. Here are my needs. I'm going to present them to you. But I'm going to surrender these needs at the foot of your cross and trust that you're going to take care of them in the way that you best see fit. You see the difference in that mentality? And finally, number four, is are we focusing on repackaged food or are we focusing on fresh food? (laughs) Here's what I'm going to tell you to do tonight is when it comes to the word of God and our time with Jesus, go organic, all right? Aaron, did did I get that picture to you? The fish? No? Okay, never mind. If you had a choice between a, uh, a freshly caught, fresh, never frozen, beautiful slab, just right from the ocean, freshly shot halibut, right? <laughs> it's like Everybody's like, they shoot those things? We got a shooter. If you've been on a fishing boat and you hear someone say, get the gun, you know you got a good one, all right? <laughs> this fresh this fresh slab of halibut, right, that literally is like, I mean, it is so fresh. It's like still, never mind. It's fresh, right? You throw that thing on the grill, and somebody comes out to the, de- the boat deck, and they're like, oh, Actually, don't worry about it. I got, I got, uh, I got four-year-old uh, frozen uh, fish sticks. <laughs> they're Dyson brand. You know they're good, right? No. You would never, ever choose to eat the nasty, processed, frozen fish. But yet we choose to do that so many times in our lives, right? God offers us this fresh time with him every single day every single morning we wake up he says here you go i got it's still flopping right look at that (laughs) taking this analogy way too far all right (laughs) but instead we rely on and now i hope that my sermons on thursday night are better than fish sticks right But here's the deal is that I do not want you guys to rely on just the stuff that has been repackaged by me, been repackaged by your pastor, has been repackaged by your small group leader. I want you to learn how to fish and catch the nicest, freshest, and most incredibly caught fresh fish, the freshest food that you can eat. And that fresh spiritual food is found in our daily time with the Lord. If we rely on man, we will always be disappointed. Eventually, I will run out of things to say to you. And when you're around Chi Alpha for long enough, you're going to be like, Steve, I'm pretty sure you preached this sermon three years ago, right? I already have it written down in my journal. Some of you have done this to me, right? (laughs) 
I'm like, hey, you should be fishing by yourself for n- by now, man. So I'm going to stop preaching my, my best stuff. So anyways. But this is how we end up. This is how people, honestly, like, let's just be real tonight. This is how people end up church hopping, right? All of a sudden, you, you hear something, and you're like, oh, that offended me. That, oh, I'm out of here. There's a church three blocks away that I hear has got a new worship pastor. Here we go, right? No. I believe that we are called to be rooted somewhere, and sometimes I might say something that might agitate you a bit, might let you down. You might be like, oh, Steve didn't bring his best stuff today, Right? That's okay because I know that if, if you guys are rooted in eating your own spiritual diet and being fed by the Holy Spirit himself, then what you get at Chi Alpha is merely just a little kick in the butt, a little boost, a word of encouragement rather than what you are relying on fully and wholly for your walks with Jesus. <laughs> Our time with Jesus in the morning or whenever you spend with time with him, Guys, it has been designed for you. Think about that. The God of the universe loves you so much that I believe every single day he is prepared to spend time with you. And because he knows you better than you even know yourself, he has prepared a specific lesson plan that day for you. And he has taken time to be able to do that. And we choose so often to miss out on it. No one else was going to hear what God was going to speak to you during that time. It has been intricately and fearfully put together for you in that moment. And yet we so quickly choose to hit the snooze button one more time. (laughs) Right? I had, a, I had a dream one day, and I, I believe that God can speak to you through dreams. I had this dream that someone came down to wake me up, and they said, they said Steve, I got breakfast ready for you. Come on upstairs. And, uh, and I said, okay, yeah, I'll be there in a little bit. And I, I snoozed for a little while, and, and, and finally I was like, oh, you know, I should probably go. They said they made breakfast. So I got up, and this was all in my dream. And I got up, and I went into this room. And there was, like, food everywhere. I mean, like, pastries and, and incredible things. Like, every single one of my favorite food, like, mounds of bacon and mounds of muffins and all of this stuff. I was like, I was like, I looked at the person, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely incredible. This is the best breakfast I've ever had. And the person who came down and woke me up looked at me and said, oh, Steve, you should have been here when I first came down and woke you up. It was way better. You missed out. And I woke up, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Steve, this is how I feel when I have something prepared for you, and you choose to miss out on it. Am I still going to give you good things? Are you still going to get a really wholesome breakfast? Oh, of course. But there was something else that I had for you that's going to have to wait for another day now because you decided that 15 minutes of sleep was more important than me. I was like, right? <laughs> but it was so it was so cool because God was God did not say, Steve, you scumbag, you stink bomb. No, he said, Steve, this is gonna have to wait for another day. 
See, God loves us so much that he wants to give our best to us. We have to make the decision. He wants to give his best to us. We have to make the decision to accept it. And the worship team can come back up. I'm going to read a, I'm going to close with a list of things that, that happen when we are not spending quality daily time with the Lord. And, uh, and I believe that all of us are probably have been guilty of one or more or all of these things at a moment in our lives. <laughs> I have been guilty of all of these. I'm just going to read them quick. There's eight of them. When I'm not spending time with Jesus, I commit the sin of making someone else responsible to generate my own spiritual excitement. Activities about Jesus become more important than Jesus. I get easily hurt and I have nowhere to release my hurt except through gossiping. I perceive God only by my limited experiences rather than by his limitless word. I am unable to experience God's direction, conviction, and leading unless someone takes me by the hand. I rely on what God did in the past and not what he is doing right now. I begin to despise leaders who do not meet my expectations, which leads to an inability to receive ministry from them. And when problems and temptations come, I have not dipped my spiritual life in layers and layers of spiritual protection and strength. I will tell you this, is that on these trails that we're going to be talking about here in the next three weeks, and through these trials that we're going to be talking about, a trial is not the time to start trying to get on the trail for Jesus. It's very difficult. So if you're walking through a season if you're walking through a trial right now, there's no better time to jump on the trail with Jesus. If you're walking through, if you're walking through a time in your life where you're like, yeah, things are going pretty good, there's no better time to get on a trail with Jesus. And to say, I'm going to fix my eyes on him. I'm going to spend time with him every single day, and I'm running after him with everything that I got. If Jesus isn't a part of our everyday lives, Man, we're just kidding ourselves, guys. Honestly. We're just kidding ourselves. We're not going to make it for the long haul with Jesus if we don't make this a commitment. And I believe the root of all of this is being able to go to God with a surrendered need list, not a wish list. To be concerned about how we're approaching God rather than what we're approaching God with. To be concerned about why we're approaching God, not how much we're approaching God. It's all about where our hearts are at. God's way more concerned about that than he is about the legalistic details that sometimes we try to adhere to this part of our lives. And if you are here and you're in a small group, and this is something that you want to commit to tonight, you're going to say, yeah, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Talk to your small group leader. Because I guarantee that they've been spending time with Jesus and they would love to walk through this process with you. Because there are going to be times when you read something in God's word, you're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And you're going to be able to go talk to someone about it. 
There's going to be times when you just need someone to hold you accountable to this. There's going to be all those things. Talk to your small group leaders. Say, hey, I really want to do this because I know they're going to be willing to do this. And if you're looking for a place to start in God's word, I always recommend the book of James. Just read one chapter. It will change your life. Hey, uh, we love you guys so much. We'll be back here next week for part two of Trials and Trails. All right. All right. You guys have a great week. God bless, and uh, see you next week, everybody.